do do here we go my name's Todd this is Kathy welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio this is podcast number 456 I think <laughs> if I can get around to producing this later this afternoon uh, this is a conversation with somebody we love so we love Rhea Fry hi Rhea how are you hello thanks for having me that's our audience. I like it even better. <laughs> um, sweetie, who is Rhea Fry? Rhea is an author yeah. that I happen to know and I'm lucky to work with, actually. Um, but Rhea has written a lot of nonfiction books. But the reason that I really wanted her to come today is because she's written this fiction book that is kind of like taking the world by storm because it's everywhere. Keep Rhea, talking. I like this. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it like, I, I feel like, and first of all, her book is called uh, Not Her Daughter. Um, and I feel like the first time I saw it on a list of like books you have to read for the summer was like three months ago. Yeah. We, we had a good publicity yeah. run with it. Um, it made a lot of lists, luckily. It did. And I think it's just the genre that everybody loves. I mean, there's so, I keep saying, because the girls keep asking me about it because my 15 year old wants to read it. And she can. Oh, she can. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. And, but I'm like, it's not a mystery. No, it's considered this domestic suspense genre, which I didn't even know when I wrote this. I'm like, what is domestic suspense? So Gone Girl, I feel like really started that genre. And then Leanne Moriarty, who um, has written a ton of books, but Big Little Lies, which was a show. Uh, so domestic suspense just means you focus on relationships as well as suspenseful elements. So this book's kind of a cross between women's fiction and, and suspense. It has a kidnapping, so it's suspenseful, but it really focuses more on like kind of those emotions of the relationships. The people. Sweetie, the people. how did you meet Rhea? So I met Rhea, I don't even remember how many years ago it was, but there's this period of time when Rhea, so Rhea lives in Nashville, correct? Yes, correct. She, she lives in Nashville now, but she lived in Chicago before, uh, years ago. And there, um, on WGN, there used to be this morning show, Saturday morning, Bill Mahler. Bill Mahler. Bill Mahler. Oh, I miss him. I know. I'll, send, I'll yeah. send this to him. He was All really excited when I posted something He's about He's a matchmaker. Us. He He's is. Great. And he was so lovely oh, to both of us. Oh, he was so lovely. Yeah. Yes. So he was the WGN radio host. He was. He was. And he, he like if he found someone that he felt he could have a conversation with, he asked you back over and over again. So there was a few times, I can't remember how many, Rhea was either going on before me or after me because she was, your nonfiction books were about fitness. Yes. Yeah. So she would be, she was that expert and I would talk about parenting. And so we'd get to sit in the green room for five minutes or so and have a chat. And before we even started taping, I was telling her something I remembered about what we were talking about, self-publishing and things like that. So I just knew Rhea was a writer and I knew she was an expert in her field. And, and then I ended up following her on social networking. And then I don't know. I, I remember when you finished the book or St. Martin's Press brought, bought the book. It, it just, I, you know, was really paying attention to this thing that was happening in your life um, on social networking. We're such voyeurs, right? Yes. You know what I mean? Like sometimes <laughs> yes, people's lives that yeah. I know so much about, it's weird, you know? People walk up and tell us that because <clears throat> they listen to us talk about our kids. Yeah. And then we don't, you know, we don't know most people's names that walk up. And I'm talking about like at the conference. I'm right. not talking about. And they feel like they know you. Yeah. They right. feel like kids. they know you. Or they'll start a conversation in the middle. You know, they'll yeah. be like, when JC did blah, blah, blah. I'm like, right. wait, wait, wait. How did, you know? But yeah, it is a little weird. It is. And yeah. you're getting that right now all the time, I bet. Yeah. And I mean, I was very resistant to social media. I've yes. never, I'm really late to the game with it, but yeah. I've found a way that kind of feels authentic and, um, you know, around this writing community, it feels good and not icky. Like, it's, it's you. It feels <laughs> right. like you. It sounds like you. Right. And it's not like all sorts of, and again, I do family pictures occasionally too, but it's sure. more awesome pictures of your typewriter and your message. Yeah, I'm weird about 
putting my daughter yeah. uh, on on social a lot. Like I get a I little bit. I don't think bit you're weird at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I wrote a book about kidnapping a you know five year old, and then I had a little kidnapping scare after that with my own daughter. So oh I was gosh. like, I'm keeping her off of. <laughs> All social media. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm going to finish this thought, and then we're going straight to that because I want to hear what that is. So basically, I saw on social media after Rhea's this book, I knew it was coming out, and, you know, it was getting all this publicity. And then I saw that Rhea is a editor. She is more than an editor. She was um, part of this company. She was an executive editorial director. Editorial director. (laughs) Thank you. I want to give her the right title. Mm -hmm. And so I emailed her and I said, would you be willing to read some of what I'm writing and be an editor for me? Because I need a partner. I need someone who... Because um, you're writing your fourth book. I am. And it's so good. (laughs) So So good. Once it comes out, if it sucks, can I blame her and not you, sweetie? It's totally totally blame me. It's Rhea's fault. It's not going to suck. What What's so great about Rhea is that um, I said, it's going to take me a long time. I'm slow. I have all these other jobs, which I know you can relate to. And sitting down to write only happens two or three times a week, even though I make sure it does happen. But it... so Rhea's like, go slow, do what you want. And I was just like, thank you. Because so many people in the industry have their own agenda. Totally. Don't you think? Yeah. It, as much as I love the industry, it's like, do this. So that's how that's how I know Rhea. Okay. But going back to her book and her writing. So yes, this book is about a kidnapping scare. What was your kidnapping Yeah. So scare? I mean, she was not kidnapped. Okay. But I had just gotten done writing this book. I was across town. Um, my daughter goes to a public Montessori school. So there's like 400 kids there. And at the time of this book, I mean, she was in, um, pre-K, I think at the time. And we had dropped her off at 8 AM and you don't get to walk her to her classroom. Um, so, you know, my husband just kind of like waves and she, she walks and I get a call at two in the afternoon telling me that she's not there, that she did not show up to school that day after she had been dropped off. Oh my God. I'm getting like goosebumps all over my body. Me too. Like in that moment, I was like, okay, well it's happened. She's gone. I I brought this on myself because I wrote about it. Oh, mother guilt. Yeah, mother guilt, right? And also the universal thing. Completely because I I was paying attention to it. I mean, so, so, so much. And so, I mean, I called, I couldn't get the school. I could not get a hold of them to verify that she was there or not there. So, I mean, that 15 minute drive was the scariest moment of my life. Cause I'm like, somebody's had five, six hours to just take off with her and run. And it was a total mistake. The teacher hadn't <laughs> seen her, marked her absent and just never corrected it. Yikes. But then we lost her in target shortly after that. And they locked the doors. They reviewed the tapes. We couldn't find her for 10 minutes. Yikes. And she's not a kid that runs off. Like I, and I scared her to death after that. I'm like, you know, you, we've had conversations about this. And, um, so again, yeah, it's kind of that like law of attraction. I was like, I'm attracting this into my life because I'm thinking about it yes. so much, you know, it was well, just creepy. what you said about the time, like how you knew there was four or five hours. Cause that's a big part of your book uh-huh. is like yeah. how much time has passed. How sure. long was she asleep? How, yep. you know, because that's really it, right? If you have the time to get on a on the road and get into a different state. Oh, mm-hmm. then I mean, what are the chances? What are the chances? Yeah. Yeah. So where was she in Target? Oh my God! We sh- well, she was by the toys. We were in yeah. the linens, and we were like Sophie, Sophie. You know, every few seconds, and then all of a sudden, I went to call her name. I mean, I could see her, and she was just gone. I mean, she was gone in an instant. And all these parents kind of gathered around and we were yelling. My husband took off in the store and she was by the very front door. She was going to go outside because she couldn't find us. And she was like, well, I couldn't find you. I was like, you knew where we were. I mean, I, I did, I scared her so much that she started crying. I felt really bad, but 
I just kind of hammered the importance of that, you know, because um, I mean, boom, in an instant, it can happen just like that. So um, can you give us a summary of what your book is about? Yeah. So I always have like my little one uh, sentence pitch, but it is about a woman who kidnaps a five-year-old to save her from her mother. Mm. So I kind of took this reverse kidnapping approach. We all think of kidnapping as wrong. Obviously, it's very black or white, but I wanted to kind of, you know, test um, the readers a little bit and see if they could maybe side with a kidnapper if it was done to try to save a child and not harm mm -hmm. the child. Um, so the book is kind of really answering that question. And, um, but on a deeper level, deeper level, it's really about kind of these relationships between mother, child, and this woman who develops a relationship with this little five-year-old. And, um, it's more of kind of like a deep dive into that, I think. Well, um, what's the word where the victim starts feeling bad for the perpetrator? Um, I think of, mm. um, um, the Patty Hearst thing. No, I think of Elizabeth smart. Now I don't think she was with it, but, um, there's a word that you have sympathy for the person who had kidnapped you. Do you remember, you know what that word is? Yeah. I know um, what you're talking about. Me yeah. too. And it's, I feel like we were, but those are usually the bad guys. It sounds right. like this woman yes, in this... your book was a good guy. Definitely. I mean, she's, she makes some poor choices, but she's a successful entrepreneur. She's recently um, broken up with the love of her life. And she kind of witnesses this exchange between mother and child that's very toxic. Um, this mother's being very abusive to her child, both verbally and physically. And a few months later, she runs into... Um, Stockholm Syndrome. This, yeah. There you <laughs> this, go. Oh, yeah. Stockholm Syndrome. Um, this little girl again, and on a whim, kind of decides to take her, which mm -hmm. is crazy i mean right. you know that's this is why it's fiction mm -hmm. but um but yeah it's it's been so cool to see the readers um comments about like i never thought i could side with a kidnapper but if i was in that position like i'd want to do the same thing and this whole thing is based off of a real mother and daughter that i saw in an airport mm. the character of amy the biological mother is based on the exact woman that i saw and the five-year-old emma is also based on this little girl that I saw. And the weird thing is, is I had the idea for this book and I knew my character's names. I knew the little girl was going to be named Emma. I knew, you know, just kind of the basics. And this little girl in the airport, her real name was Emma. Oh. And I got, ch I mean, I, again, got chills and was like, I've got to go home and write this story. So this whole so story. So wait a second, the story came up before you had this airport experience or because you had this airport experience? Well, I had the idea for the reverse kidnapping. So when I okay. became a parent, I started noticing just, you know, parent-child behavior. I think we, we've we all seen kind of questionable exchanges. Yeah, and just go to Six Flags or Walmart and you'll see <laughs> or it. anywhere. Yeah. And again, I at the airport, when I saw this mom, my first response was to be very empathetic and be like, oh, we've all been there. You're having a stressful day. But then it just got really aggressive and for, I mean, for no apparent reason. So I wanted, I kind of had this question in my head, like, you know, is this person a bad parent or is she just having a bad day? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to kind of take that and run. So I had the idea for it, but I didn't really know like what direction I was going to go. And, um, the airport scene that was real actually makes it into the book. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, I kind of like took it and ran from there. Cause I still think about that little girl. I still wonder about so her. So you said something to the little girl when you were washing your hands then in real life, like wasn't that, wasn't there? No, I didn't in real life. I okay. did, I did pass her and comment on her pretty red bow because mm -hmm. here was this like harried mother. She just looked exhausted and so unhappy. And this little girl was dressed in a, you know, a red dress with a red bow and red shoes. She was so put together. It was just such an odd mm -hmm. um, dichotomy of, you know, this, 
mother being so ugly to her child and her child wasn't doing anything, not throwing a tantrum, well, not... You and I have had talked about this these types of episodes on our podcast when you see uh, a child getting verbally abused. Let's just keep it simpler, yes. verbally abused as opposed to getting hit or whatever. And what do we do? Like mm-hmm. as a bystander, what do I do in that situation? Mm-hmm. And what have, my wife yeah. has taught me was just smile at the child. Because if you get into absolutely an argument with mom or dad, it's going to go sideways real quick. And is it ever our right ever to step in and tell another parent how, I mean, yeah, tell another uh, parent how to parent their child, you know? Exactly. So that's kind of what I wanted to Well, and I think sometimes with. it is. I mean, you see a sure. kid uh, physically abusing somebody, but if it's just like screaming, that's... Yeah. And okay. I've, I've had a couple instances after this where I've actually had um, seen a mother like like hitting um, their mm-hmm. child. And I actually did say something in a YMCA locker room and the mom's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just trying to scare, you know, I'm just trying to scare them. I'm like, well, that's not scaring. That's, you know, hurting. But again, that's not really my place, even though I said it. Well, at the same <laughs> well, time, you, yeah. go ahead, sweetie. Well, what I was going to say was that it, 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 when it comes to hitting or when someone's being harmed, I feel like there's almost an instinctual response well, of course. where yeah. you don't even think you're just like, wait, 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 well, can yeah. I help? It? And we can even look to the mom and say, can I help you with something? Exactly. Now I get to, because I'm a social worker, I get to fall back on, Absolutely. I am mandated to say, not necessarily report you in this moment, but to yep. step in and intervene. So I, I love how, and anybody could say that, yeah. but I love being able to say how that. How about I'm a human being, I'm obligated to step in. Absolutely. Yeah. But the reason I'm saying it that way is not because that necessarily gives me more but for the parent yep. they have an understanding of why i'm getting involved get, they're they're more, more likely to get less dis- exactly less versus just like you said the human being coming in and it, even though you're right like we we all play a role and everybody we're all in this together right sure. you know so but but a lot of times my fear and i think this kind of comes across in the book too you said this a few times is that Sometimes if you step in and you confront the parent, the child gets the brunt of yeah. that. I mean, exactly. And if a, if a parent is, you know, uh, acting this way towards the child in public, then, I mean, that's to me the kind of the scary thing. Well, what's going on behind closed mm-hmm. doors? Exactly. If they're willing yeah. to do this when everybody's seeing. Yeah. And so that's why what, when, again, going back, stepping away from the physical abuse and saying we see a child being emotionally abused is like, if we can as adults smile at them and or to if we get a little moment with them to say hi or to just make eye contact because my whole thought is what I'm sending them in that moment is the world is a good place. Mm -hmm. There are people who, and to your point, we don't know, one thing you do, and again, like you said, this is a domestic, the whole focus of the book is on relationships, but the mom who is so challenged with her daughter, she has a history too. Absolutely. It's not, when I'm saying it's not all her fault, I believe she needs to take responsibility for her life but nobody really took care of her either. No, and I actually empathized with Amy, the biological mother, um, a lot more so than Sarah. I mean, yes. I think Sarah is a little bit entitled to take a child. She's not a mother yeah. herself. Her and Emma are in this honeymoon phase where everything's mm-hmm. great. And I think it's really interesting, too, how your child, um, sometimes with mother daughters specifically, um, which is what this book is about, but you can just kind of butt heads for no reason. But then that child can be a perfect angel with a teacher or a friend or someone else. So I think that's really interesting too. too. Um, isn't it? It mm-hmm. is. And I think, I mean, and again, what you just said has so many pieces that there's no way I can like make this sound. It's not going to encapsulate everything. But I think when 
it's our child. Not only are we seeing ourselves in them, so we're being mirrored, and whatever they do, we feel connected to socially, but we also see ourselves in them. But we also feel the obligation or the responsibility that everything that's going on in their lives is something that we need to pay attention to or Mm -hmm. focus on or make sure they're doing right or not doing anymore, whatever. Whereas when you're with a child that is not quote unquote yours, you see every aspect of them. Absolutely. You're like, you're so, oh yeah, this is hard for you, but you're so beautiful in this area or this is so good. Or, or I'll, I was actually just talking to a girlfriend of mine who is a teacher and she teaches art and she has a son who struggles in a lot of areas and this, and so this isn't even mother daughter, but Mm -hmm. mother son. And she's so hard on her son. And Mm -hmm. she, she says this to me, I'm not saying it, but she's like, I'm so hard on my son. But then when I'm a teacher in this classroom, all these kids, I can be like, oh, I'll bring the best out of you. And you don't frustrate me. But when they're ours, and they're Mm -hmm. never really ours again, but I'm saying that in quotes, when we feel that responsibility, we almost, we turn it into something that- Well, when they're your students, they're not reflections of who you are. When they're our kids, if this kid turns out bad, then I feel bad about myself. Well, we do it to our partners too, though. Mm -hmm. We do it to our romantic partners. I feel like if you're living in a house with someone, you kind of stop seeing them- in general, which is, you know, why people have affairs because they want to be seen in a certain way and why, yeah, you can treat, you know, your friend's kid with so much patience and kindness, whereas you snap at your own. It's just, it's interesting. Yeah, It is. That's what we found, you know, on this podcast. Like we, we joke around that it's really not Zen Parenting Radio. We're not talking about parenting at all. We're talking about relationships yeah. and individuals and self-awareness. And it just happens to be that parenting is where many of us are willing to wake up to it, right? Ooh, yeah, I like that. But it's all the same. The way that I'm responding to Todd or why I'm responding to him in a certain way is very similar to how I'm responding to my daughters or to my mother mm. or to right. you know the people who influence us the most. It's the same kind of triggers. Mm. Yeah. Triggers, yeah. Yes. That's a good one. Exactly. <laughs> the ones that love us the most... Annoy us the most. That's yeah, that's right. And, and Which the ones is a shame. We love, it is. It is a shame. part of the deal. It is. It's part of the deal. I yeah. know. And then I always say, you know, like for parents who that, you know, they'll say, "Oh, my child is so wonderful with mm-hmm. the teacher." And then I go pick her up, and she cries, and and I say, "That's because she She's, loves you, absolutely." And she, she feels yeah safe, and she can express herself, and exactly yeah, and you'll accept her. Absolutely. So is this book? I haven't read it. Kathy yeah. has. Um, it would is it dark? Is, is that a is that not a fair word um, to use about it? That's a good question. I haven't been asked that before. I mean, I don't. I actually don't think it's dark. I think it's definitely emotional, and you you kind of have this this. You want to know what happens next. I mean, you want to know what happens to this little girl. Mm-hmm. So um, these two characters are kind of on the run, and you want to know if she's going to get away with it. But I mean, there's some darkness. Um, yeah. The way that the book is arranged, it's not typical chapter form. It's before, during, and after the kidnapping. Mm. So you get to know these characters before this event happens uh, and kind of get un- into the underbelly of um, you know, their motivations. Like Sarah, the the one who kidnaps um, this little girl, she was abandoned by her own mother. Mm-hmm. So she has, you know, her own mommy issues, which is why she does this in the first place. And we get to know more about um, Amy, the mother who's very unhappy with her weight and very unhappy with herself. Yeah. And it just kind of all feeds into... 
Um, these characters. How crazy is it that you wrote some nonfiction books and mm -hmm. then you come out with this thing and then it has this, I mean, you're beating the odds quite tremendously. Oh, you? thank you. Um, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> because it, what it says on my piece of paper that Kathy printed out for me, it says soon to be a motion picture. Yes. Is that we got the real? You know, yes, that is, re that is real. That's um, amazing. Well, it's funny. I, so I so believe in, you know, visualization. And when I, when I wrote this book, um, when I got the idea for it, I was working three jobs at the time. I had not touched fiction in 10 years, but writing novels is really all I've ever wanted to do. And I just, it's like I wrote everything but, you know, I took the <laughs> long way around to get here. But I gave myself eight weeks to write it. I quit two of my jobs. I wrote it in four weeks. And it's the first time ever that I didn't doubt myself. I know it was rough and raw, and it's reflected in that. I mean, I think it's a very kind of raw story. Um, again, if I'd had more time with it, you know, I would have, I would have changed it tremendously, right. but I feel like it's the story that needed to be on the page at the time. But I, throughout that whole process, I knew I was going to get an agent. I knew I was going to get a book deal and I knew I was going to get the movie deal, which sounds crazy, mm -hmm. but I saw it as a movie first when I wrote it and I kind of wrote it in these, these visual snapshots. And my husband, who's a designer, he made a casting board for me of all the characters. Like if it was a movie and then he made a book cover with me, with this girl with a red bow and it said like New York times bestseller, mm -hmm. you know, with mm -hmm. my name and stuff. And I looked at it every single day, um, when I was writing and yeah, it just kind of all happened. The importance of visualization. Man, see, it really works. Do you see why I love Rhea? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And again, it, it's because I see, I, I do similar things. Yeah. And there, it's, I, everything for me is, it's visual. I, in, and sometimes you just know that you're going in the right direction. And sometimes you, and sometimes it's for the big thing. Like you yeah. said, it's for the movie and it's for, um, you know, getting the agent. And sometimes it's just because this is what, it, sometimes it's with our children. You know, Absolutely. this is the path we need to take. Absolutely. This is what feels right. I'm, I can't explain it. I don't know why. I don't know why this is easy, but I know. And there is there's a trust. Absolutely. And I, for me, when things really started to change is when I started writing them down. I started writing down things as though they had already happened and how I was going to feel. And I mean, I practiced the call with my agent that we got like a two book deal from one of the biggest publishers ever before that call happened. And then it happened and it was almost verbatim the way that I'd written it on the day I got the movie deal. I wrote, I got, you know, I just got an offer from Argent Pictures, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then later that day I got the offer from Argent Pictures and it was just, it, it was so crazy. Um, but it, but it works. But then I realized very quickly, I think we often put like, make our happiness contingent on X, Y, or Z happening. And I realized super early on, if I'm not happy now, I'm not going to be happy later. And a lot of this has been really anticlimactic because I've I've already believed it and I've already lived from a place like, no, this is totally going to happen. So now it's like, yeah, it's happening. And all right, what's mm -hmm. next? It's you know? not shocking. No, because it's not she shocking because I, I really believed it. Mm -hmm. yeah. One of my favorite um, experiences with that or like language being put to what you just said is our friend uh, Shafali Sabari. We were we knew her and she was a friend of ours right before Oprah asked her to come on her show. And we were there that day that, you know, she taped and when she came out and she was done. And of course I was like, how do you feel? Like mm -hmm. when this comes out that your book is going to, you know, it's going to skyrocket. How do you feel? How do you feel? And she goes, well, you know, I still have to go home and buy toilet paper. Exactly. Yeah. And I say that too. I mean, we are not at the Oprah level. 
I would love to be there. Well, I need to start visualizing. You weren't in the open. <laughs> visualizing that. But it wasn't Us Magazine a Us week Weekly. Ago. Yeah, Us that week, was that yeah. was really, really exciting. Because yeah. um, I used to look through that magazine. Yes. Like, I always look at the books. I'm like, I want my book in this magazine. But yeah, I always say like, well, I still have to make my kids lunches. And I still have to, like I had book launch Tuesday. You know, it was released on a Tuesday. I had this amazing party, all these awesome things. And the next day I was at soccer practice right. with my daughter. And it's like, yeah. I mean, right. but this is what keeps me grounded and this is the stuff that's important i mean this is the stuff that matters did you know you were going to only take four weeks or eight weeks to write this book just because i have so little knowledge about fiction writing or writing in general but i have a friend who has written some books and he he does a book a year and yeah and the book a year is tough i mean that's that's what i'll be on as well but i mean that means because it's such a long lead time like this was an 18 month process Mm -hmm. that you have to already be way into the next book if your book is going to come out every year just because of the publicity that has to happen and and just all of these things that have to line up so you do kind of have to write them Mm -hmm. in a pretty short window but that's a that's a very short window i just did it because i was on this corporate um, content contract i was getting paid for these eight weeks so i was like i'm just gonna use this as the time to get it done i knew if i didn't sit down and get it done i wouldn't but i'm a really fast writer and i love i don't get a lot of pockets of time to do it so i like really try to cram it in when I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you're done with your second book already. I am, yeah. We're putting it to bed this week and it'll come out next August. Um, and that's been a lot harder. I mean, they joke about second books, mm-hmm. but but because I had to kind of decide, do you want to be a women's fiction writer? Do you want to be a domestic suspense writer? I chose the suspense route and we've had to like kind of orchestrate this story. You know, before you're published, you can write whatever. I mean, you know, you're just, yeah. there's no deadlines, there's no pressure. And this one has just been so different. And I think we're finally almost there, but it's been a struggle every step of the way. It's, it's been a totally different experience. It's more like uh, a, where everything before was so fluid and yes. it was go with the flow. And now this is it work. Well, yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking more about the reader, which can be a, a slippery slope, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like, okay, is this plausible? What could this person say? And I, I'm trying to just still write the story that I want to write and not focus so much on that because I think yeah. you can drive yourself crazy when you start to think about reviews or pleasing everyone because that's never going to happen. I mean, right. ever. It's like we have to get out of our own head. <laughs> yes, to we your do. point, yeah. when you're writing your first fiction book, you're like, I'm doing this for me. Yeah, absolutely. This is my story. Definitely. Then you have, now you have fans. Rhea well, has fans. I don't know about that, but thanks. Well, but no, the re- I mean, the readers have responded to this very, either really well or if it's negative, they still have something to say. Yes. Like it's it started a conversation and that's really what I wanted from yes. it. I knew it was going to be a polarizing topic regardless. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So because of what you're writing about, what I, I kind of have two questions. Yeah. First of all, even though you created these characters, I would be curious about what they taught you. Like what mm. when you were done, what you were like wow, I see, even though they came through me, I see this differently. And also what the conversation, what is the conversation that started? So both of those questions, like what did start? What do you, what do you mean? What start? What, what are people talking about? Oh, what are people talking about? Yeah. So, um, it's funny, the people who really resonate with it have just really put themselves in this position. Like, what would I do? I've always thought I was just so black and white on, you know, well, I mean, of course, kidnapping, but parenting or, just thinking about children in a different way too and um, with things they see and wow, maybe I could have done something or maybe, you know. um, But yeah, learning, gosh, learning from these characters. I mean, it was so fun. I didn't get to really spend a lot of time with them. In hindsight, I mean, it's, it's a long process, but the writing time was very, very short. And actually the first iteration of this when 
my agent took it on, there was no Amy. There was no biological mother's point of view. So the, the book is told from two point of views, the kidnapper's point of view and the mother's. So it was just from the kidnapper's point of view. So it was a very like insular, different story. And when I put Amy on the page, I I just learned a lot from her about just, my, I mean, I re- again, I recognize myself in her. I can, I've been Amy and I've been Sarah. So I really noticed the the two aspects of motherhood and how I am as a mother and how patient and loving we can be. And then how kind of our kids see the ugliest parts of us and they love us anyway. Hmm. It was just amazing. So yeah, Sarah's the kidnapper. Amy's the mom. Yes. Got it. Well, and that's the thing is like, we're all dark and light. Yeah, we are. And that when we're very judgmental of ourselves or other people, it's miss, it's, it's misunderstanding that we look at somebody and we say, oh, I could never do that. Yet the next day, even if we don't follow through with it, we have the feeling they did. And some people's because of their history or their trauma or their impulse control or whatever it may be, um, they don't have the tools we have, yep. you know? Um, so I actually, it's funny because I felt bad because after I was done, I emailed Rhea and kind of, you know, I told her how amazing it was. And I told you that one of your characters was a jerk. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's yep. a total jerk. And then after I said, I mean, I knew you wouldn't care. They're characters, but you probably love them all. Well, it's funny. I've had a lot of readers say like, oh, I didn't really, I didn't like any of these characters. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think I write like super likable characters because I feel like we're, I, I don't know. I want to show like the complexity and the flawed nature. I'm really interested in people's flaws or quote unquote, you know, their shortcomings or whatever. I mean, I think that's what, where the good stuff is and where the interesting stuff is. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I had fun spending time with all these characters, but mm-hmm. you know, I didn't feel like, again, I don't feel like this is my baby or this is my, you know, whatever. I talk a lot about this, but the book is a product at the end of the day and mm-hmm. it's, you know, we need to sell it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, I'm very, e- I can very easily detach from, from these characters. I love spending time with it. This was supposed to be um, a sequel. When I, I wrote it, I wrote it with the intention of writing another book um, down the line uh, because there there are a lot of questions at the end of it. And the ending is actually totally different than, than what I had originally intended. Um, but, and I don't want to give that away, but... Um, but yeah, so it's I'm kind of bummed that I won't get to spend any more time with them, but maybe I will if they make the movie. I was going to yeah. say, let's no. not close that door. Yes, let's not close that door. <laughs> I would love to know. Mm. Like I would, and that, because that, uh, one thing that, and, and I want to move to another thing we wanted to talk to Rhea about is her own parenting, mm-hmm. but, and her own experience. But I, I told, one of the things I felt when I put this book down is I was conflicted. Yeah, absolutely. So that, and not in conflicted, like uh, it wasn't good, conflicted, like I constantly thought. Which is, I mean, to me, that's the biggest compliment. Cause I just wanted to, I didn't, I mean, yeah, we write books to entertain, but I really wanted people to kind of think about things in a different, different way and feel conflicted. Well, and I don't know if this translates to books, but in movies, like what, if I, if I watch a movie, sometimes my initial reaction to the movie be like, oh, it's good or bad. But there's yeah. some movies that, that, that suddenly stick with me longer yes. than I thought they would. Absolutely. Um, like we, we saw Black Klansman a few weeks ago and I'm like, oh, it's a good movie. And then I, was, I found myself thinking, thinking about, about it three it. days yeah. later and I'm like, wow, it's just really interesting how certain 
movies or books just kind of get stuck on you a little and, bit. Yeah, I think that's what writers want, want. you know, is just to, to keep thinking about it, not put di- put it down and never think about it ever again. Yeah. Exactly, because some of the stories I think, and it's it's why, you know, there's words around it, like they're sugary or they're, they're just happy endings where maybe you walk in and walk out and you're like, oh, that's good, but it's yeah. a no-brainer. Yeah. Like you didn't, you didn't gain anything, you didn't lose anything, you just, it's like candy. Yeah, and in this genre, it's interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of grouped with thriller thriller books as well but a lot of these are kind of like just a whodunit or you know you don't feel any sort of connection um, to the characters or to the story beyond the plot so I always I don't know I always want to just evoke some sort of emotion you know Yes, wake people up. Yeah, <laughs> make and make them like you said. You found yourself in Amy, and anybody who's read oh, the book, yeah. who's going to yeah. read the book, they'd say, "Ria, you found yourself in Amy." Yeah. We all can find ourselves. Uh huh. Yeah. Everybody, and even the guy, I thought it was a jerk. I was like, "What? What would I do?" Yeah. You know, Completely. who am I in yep. that situation? So switching gears. So Ria is a parent herself, um, as you know, because we already mm-hmm. told that story about the school and your daughter at school. But one of the stories that she was just mentioning before we started was that she had a really long labor. Um, and so what did you say? 52 hours? 52 hours. So, so what the hell happened? Yeah, it's so crazy. I had a very uneventful pregnancy. I mean, I was active, you know, my whole pregnancy, never any issues. And I did decide to have a hospital birth, even though I really wanted to do a home birth. But, you know, it's your first time. You're so focused on just the pregnancy and not, like, what's going to happen after. But I had a doula, and um, I went into labor. And stay. I stayed at home as long as I possibly could. Um, but I was having contractions, like, very, very regularly, very intense. Um, they were about two minutes apart for the longest time and my water wouldn't break. I just felt like, well, why isn't this progressing? So I actually had a doctor's appointment the next day and went and I was dilated to six. And my doctor was like, why don't you just walk over to the hospital, see if you can get your water to break and have this baby in an hour. Cause otherwise you're going to get really tired. Mm-hmm. So I walked, I was exercising. I was like doing everything I could to break my water and I just couldn't get it. I was eight centimeters by the time I got to the to the hospital. They broke my water. Then I was ready to go. But it was a doctor I did not like. I Mm -hmm. I had like two doctors that I was like, please don't let me get them. Anybody else will be great. And then of course I got the one that I was really uncomfortable with. So when my doctor broke my water, my doula thinks that I like tensed up and my daughter's head turned transverse and started pounding into my pelvis, which was the most painful two hours of my life that I've ever experienced. Like I literally thought I was going to die. I mean, we we kind of talked about that, but, um, the funny thing is, is I'm very anti medication. I had brain surgery when I was 19, which messed with my pain receptors. So medicine doesn't work for me. Hmm. Like I can't get numb at the dentist. Like we, I always joke about it, but when the epidural person came in there earlier or the anesthesiologist, I was like, I'm not, I'm not getting an epidural. And even if I did, like it wouldn't work or, if I had to get a C-section, like, would I be able to get numb? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of put that out of my brain. But when her head turns turned transverse, my doctor told me, like, hey, your hips are too small. You're not going to be able to get this baby out. You're going to have to have a C-section. So then I started freaking out, like, just, just, oh, my God, we have to do something. So I was there so long, the doctors switched mm-hmm. and got a new doctor And he was like, you know, I'm either going to have to give you a narcotic or we're going to have to give you an epidural and see if we can, you know, get this baby's head to turn. Gave me an epidural. It did not work. Um, I was, I mean, I was just in in agony at that point. I, 
I'm not a super, I don't cry a lot, but I just kind of Lost let it, it yeah. all out. And I was just like, I've got to get this baby out of here. It just went from this like beautiful experience at home with like a bath and massage and, you know, walking. And, and then it turned into this nightmare, but they got a, a midwife in there. She got Sophie's head ready to go, but told me, um, that we might have to rush to have a C-section um, if it looked like my cervix was going to rupture when I started to push. And I was like, oh, great. Well, I'm really excited to push then. Right. Um, I like that visual for this Right. Time. But I was I was so tired. Um, it took two and a half hours to get her out. And I ended up flat on my back, which I didn't want to do. Um, but it didn't really matter because when she got there, though she was stuck so long, I mean, her head was the biggest cone head you've ever seen and she was blue and she wasn't crying. And I just, I remember in that moment, like, did I just, did all this just happen and she's not okay, but she was perfectly okay. And has been awesome ever since. But, um, but yeah, it was, I don't know. It was just very traumatized. I was going to say you (laughs) used that when we were just talking about that, you said it was traumatizing and Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I actually, um, this, uh, we had a author on the show this summer named Karen Brody, who actually mm-hmm. wrote a book or actually wrote a screenplay about birth and just talking about that even in obviously your delivery wasn't completely typical, but even in a typical delivery, yeah. there is always trauma. Oh, there yeah, is, sure. and that sometimes we don't give, especially, um, you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, the baby's out now start writing down when they latch on and oh my start. Gosh. And yeah. It's so clinical. Like they have that whiteboard and like how many times is she feeding and going. And I remember I hadn't gotten sick in, I don't know, five or six years. And I got my first, like it was a horrible cold or bronchitis or something. So I was also also like coughing just so, so terribly during the whole delivery and after and, you know, so sleep deprived and you have this new baby. And I didn't feel that. I thought it was going to be this like magical thing. We were going to be like chest to chest and have all this time. And I remember actually not feeling connected Connected. to her right, Mm -hmm. right away. I mean, it, it took me a while to just to get, you know, it's this brand new person. Mm-hmm. That's know? right. And yeah. we, you know, I definitely had that experience with my first, with the other two also, but I was ready for it. Yeah. Where, like you said, we read so much and even, oh, yeah. even the cards we get, it's going to be so amazing and you're going to fall in love. And it's not that you're not falling in love. It's just that, just that word, it takes time falling it, in love. It, it, completely. And I just, I don't know. I think it's a slippery slope to have any expectations yes. going in. I mean, and it's funny when I see friends who are just having their first baby and you know you you put all this time into how you think it's going to be and imagining all these different things and it's it's different i mean once they're once they're here so dumb question 52 hours 52 hours you're awake all 52 hours oh yeah okay so yeah. so i see the world through a lens as a husband yes as a i'm coming for father and Part of me wants to say, you know, I just think women are stronger than men, but I won't say that because I know there's a lot of dudes out there that will disagree. I will say that my wife is stronger than me. So when Kathy had some, whatever, tough deliveries, because as far as I'm concerned, they're all tough. Uh, yes. I remember you were, you know, the baby just woke, uh, we just delivered and like three hours later, like she was ready for a feeding or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you woke up and you're so happy and you're telling her, saying Skylar this, you're like using her name, this mm-hmm. little being, like it didn't even, she didn't seem like a Skylar at the time because yeah. we just met her and everything. And I honestly was just so tired. I just wanted Shh. to sleep. Yeah, which my, is totally normal. My question is, how did, did was your husband awake for 52 hours? Oh yeah, he, he. I would have taken that. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. He was by my side the entire time. <laughs> and so was my, my doula. Mm. And I mean, they were just, 
he was very connected to her too, like right off the bat more so than I was. Like when I had her, I was scared to even hold her. I mean, I just, because again, I associated that trauma with this being that was now here. And I had all these, you know, talking to her my whole pregnancy and all of these like wonderful romantic, you know, ideas in my head. And then the reality was just like, oh God. And then my milk didn't come in for like four days or something. So I was just, you know, hormonal stressed. I thought I'd bro- uh, broken her collarbone, um, which I didn't when she came out, but I was, you know, super worried about that. Yikes. Just all the things you worry about. Like, I was going to say, and even the language, I know exactly what you mean, but you're like, I thought I broke her collarbone. Yeah, I, I thought, thought you I did. did. Yeah, right. My <laughs> hips. That's, that's the feeling well, we have is it's our fault. And you right. talk about the trauma. I've been told that the the most, the hardest day any of us will ever have is the day that we as individuals travel through the birth canal. Like that's the hardest thing any human being has ever totally. done. And I, so it's just yeah. not trauma for the mom. It's trauma for no. this baby. And I joke about Sophie. I'm like, man, you made me fight to get you here. Mm-hmm. Um, because we did not plan on kids. I actually never planned on having children. I told my husband that I feel like Sophie totally chose to be here. She was <laughs> a complete accident, but it, I'm like, man, this is on purpose but i find that she's if she gets confined or anything she is very claustrophobic and i'm like you were you're you were stuck yeah. for two and a half hours like i i mean that's that's legitimate it's, yeah. a legit- it's legitimate <laughs> and for her it literally is life yes death right yep. i mean it's like i i either i can't live in here yep so it's i've got to make my way out Completely. it's very very literal and i i am still i'm thinking about what you just said about like being with the baby after experiencing that trauma because uh, our last daughter was born in our car. Oh and yeah, God. on the way, right? So once I got there and she, and it was all chaotic too, because yeah. I go to a, an emergency room and they don't oh really deliver God, babies. No. And so they're all freaking out and they're like, breathe, breathe. You know, oh it was gosh. just crazy. And not what I wanted either. Right. Um, obviously. But once I got to the room, my whole body was shaking so bad. Do you remember this, oh, Todd? Yeah. That I was like, same with you. I said, I can't hold her because yeah. I can't, whatever energy is coming out of me right now. Completely. I got to let it. Yep. So they actually, Todd took his shirt off and they took a sheet and tied mm. Skylar to his chest Aww. for about two hours. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, I mean, I feel, I feel very close to Skylar, but, but she's, she's close. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I yep. often say, and this is not something to joke about, but I'm going to joke about it anyways. If Sweetie and I ever got divorced, which we never will, but you know, the kid always has to, to choose between sure. mom and dad and the courtroom <laughs> drama. Yep. The first two, I would never have a chance. But with Skylar... <laughs> I think I might have a chance. That's amazing. And it's so interesting to see how that ebbs and flows. Like when your child is closer with, you know, the mom at some points and the dad at some points, like I've really noticed Sophie kind of gravitating to each of us at different times um, yes. in her life. So funny. Her I've never life. put that together. I forgot all about them wrapping her. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure that is skin to skin. Minutes after yeah. she was born for absolutely. an hour. Or for two, at least an hour or two, because it took a me a while. Space. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And because I had the with the other two, I did have an epidural. I was in a bed. I was yeah. constricted. I didn't yeah. love that. Yeah. But they did like with JC, I did I had a midwife mm-hmm. and they brought her right up to me. So yep. she was on me even with all the goo and everything yep. for a long time. So it's like and again I also I want to also go back to what you were just saying about they gravitate because it's interesting. This is this was the first summer that she really was. It's not that she didn't want to be with you by any means, but you there were was on. A, yeah, she's going yeah. through adolescence, right? Yeah. Oh gosh, and so she it's needed, like she, she needed, needed mom mama. more than she yeah, needed. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes. What's so funny? I think I remember some scientist or whatever reading in a book where they say there, you know, and there there's a lot of science that says that this isn't true, but there's some science that says. Literally, uh, how you're born and the minutes after you're delivered w- is is a 
is so significant in the type of person you'll be. Which wow, that's which is insane. Like that I don't is. I don't know if I believe it or not, yeah. but I've heard it and it's just how about we say it this way? Because then it feel it, it can play a role. Yeah. But it's kind of like epigenetics where it doesn't need to determine right. your destiny. Right. Right. It's just like it could play a role. Just like Rhea was saying, she sees mm -hmm. a little bit of that delivery in her daughter. It doesn't yeah. mean it's all of her. No, because, I mean, she is so, she is the most empathetic child I've ever met and the most, I mean, she never stops talking. Like from the moment she gets up to the time she goes to bed, it's just... I mean, she's so enthusiastic about everything. So it's it's really interesting to me, mm. like how I'd have to like really think about that and how she was born and how she is. But man, she's got a big personality. Mm. Yes, she and I love that you say she was coming no matter. She chose you guys. She's oh, like, yeah. sorry. Oh yeah, no, and she she jokes about that. Like she talks about. I mean, we we don't go to church or anything. We're spiritual people, but not necessarily religious. But she talks like I've recorded. I'm like, are you on drugs? Where she's like. I remember God and this is what we did. And mm. I helped him create, you know, blah, blah, blah. And going on for like an hour about all the things that she did and um, how she was here at the beginning of time. And then she's here for a purpose. And oh, wow. it's crazy. I mean, I mean, not really crazy, but so interesting. So your job is to nurture that as best you can. Absolutely. Because the society is going to beat that out uh, of her. So. You know, and they always say that. I mean, how children are so connected. And I feel like they are our best teachers. Mm -hmm. I learn more from her than I could ever teach her. I mean, when she says, you know, mama, put down your computer and come play. And it was funny. She had a friend over and I, of course, was working, working, working on my computer. And her friend came up to me and she was like, oh, I miss my mama. You remind me of my mama right now. And I'm like, oh, why? I thought it was like going to be my shirt. She's like, because she has a laptop and you have a laptop and you're always on it. And I was just, I was like, okay, this is really sad. Like that's, that's my daughter's like perspective. And even her friends is we're always behind these yeah. Freaking machines. And yeah. so, yeah, we, I, I put when she asks me to play, it's like I put the phone down, put the computer down, go jump on the trampoline, listen to music and just play. Um, why don't we stop playing? I know. Why do we stop playing? I, I know. just I think it's the biggest mistake. And napping. Napping is so, so great, too. I'm just starting to get napping back into oh. my life. I swear, because I think I I screwed myself because I would always say to Todd, I can't nap. Napping I know, me too. Me. I, I, can't say, I say the same thing. I know. And now I'm like, I we just did something a couple weekends ago, Labor Day weekend, and I actually fell asleep for two hours. Oh my God. See, and if I did that though, I'd be up for days. And that's what <laughs> my concern is, is I'm like, yeah. I can't break the pattern. I think like the older we get, we create these patterns and these systems, almost superstitions. Definitely. Like we're like, if I don't do this, if I don't take this vitamin, if I don't do this, oh, yeah. if I don't go to yoga, yeah. and then we screw our day and mm -hmm. we're not even... We're not even, it's kind of like childbirth. Yeah. Where we have so many expectations Absolutely. that we're not even present for what's really happening. And I think babies have it, right? Like being on like kind of that, you know, 24 hour schedule where you're awake for a few hours, you're asleep for a few hours, you're awake for a few hours, you're asleep. Mm -hmm. I think we'd work so much better that way. I know. Like I know. so much better. That's, and that's it, same with the eating. Like, oh yeah. It's, you know, and again, because we're talking about Rhea's fiction, you don't know like how in shape this woman is. Obviously, you can tell just by looking at her, but I mean, like she's like, you're like a you. You're a bodybuilder. What language do you use? I don't want to say bodybuilder. Uh, I mean, right. I don't know at this point. I mean, I've just always been into. You know, I was into a gymnast fitness. for a long time. I was a boxer. I was a trainer for 15 years. You know, I just I love movement. And you're everybody strong. always asks me, like, "What are you training for?" I'm like, "For life." Like, I mean, not for anything in particular, but mm. um, but yeah, we've really my 
husband and I have gotten into intermittent fasting mm. a lot, which is really interesting. I, fe- I feel like it's so intrinsic and so easy to do with. Um, what does that look like? So you, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but you can condense your eating into an eight hour window. And by allowing your body to fast, you know, for 16 hours, you're repairing on a cellular level, you're. Mm. Um, giving your body a break to, uh, cause we're constantly digesting food. I mean, we're yeah. just, you know, we're taught, we got a snack, we got to eat first thing in the morning. We have to do all of these things, but yeah, if you condense it into like 10 to six or 11 to seven or 12 to eight, even it's one of the most effortless ways to eat, but it's, it's very, very healing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I've, uh, there's something, our society's like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. and unless you're like. I don't know, training for a mm-hmm. marathon or a triathlon. Like, why is it necessary? Because, you know, it's not from from eight until noon. All I'm doing is sitting behind yeah, my stupid exactly. computer. I'm not expending a whole lot of energy. Why is it important for me to eat breakfast and lunch? Like, can I just like just have lunch and like, right, just, you know, during the week, I'm healthier than the weekends. Weekends sure, of is course. cheese fries and beer and everything right. else. But, during- but I mean, sometimes your body actually, I mean, that's why diets don't work is because, you know, you restrict for a certain period of time and you're extending that so much that you're creating a new baseline. Mm-hmm. And then when you eat above that, you're going to gain weight. But if you eat decently through the week and then you kind of let it go on the weekends or midweek or whatever, you're actually doing your body a favor because mm-hmm. it's kind of going up and down and you're kind of surprising it. Yeah. And you're not doing the same thing every day. Well, and I've more also heard cheese fries. Hey, more, cheese cheese fries. more cheese fries. That's <laughs> well, the answer. And, and I've heard of other <laughs> theories because mm-hmm. they're like breakfast. Oh yeah, you, you know, can... eat breakfast like a king. Absolutely. Lunch like a blah blah blah, and snack for dinner. And I've heard the opposite, opposite. is true. So here's the thing. I mean, about health and wellness in general, which is why I kind of got out of this industry. Is you can find research and statistics to back up almost anything. Mm-hmm. Kale's the best thing for you in the world. Kale will kill you. Mm-hmm. You know, being a vegetarian. Vegetarian is wonderful. No, paleo is the way to go. I mean, it's you can't really win necessarily, and there's not one right way to do it. So you just have to find something that works, works for you. For and you. I just say, listen to your body. Like it knows what it needs, what it wants. We don't really listen. We don't rest when we should rest. We, if we're not hungry and it's dinner time, don't freaking don't eat. eat dinner. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like the the societies who eat the least amount of food are usually the ones who live the longest and are the healthiest. Crazy. I mean, yes. Yeah. And that is like that. And again, just like bringing all these messages together, I feel like if we listen to ourselves, if we, and sometimes I don't want to say that I was going to say sometimes women are better at this, but I am willing, like probably because of my cycle, probably because I've had to listen to my body my whole life. Like we, we feel different at different times of the month. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and you have cycles too, Todd, not a menstrual cycle, obviously, (laughs) but men have the exact same like ebb and flow. And we are in some ways, forced to well, listen to it. You and I it. just had that long conversation in the car out to... That's why I'm thinking of it. And I, it, there's a, an old Saturday Night Live commercial mm-hmm. where they come up with this pill that you you don't get your period at all. And this was like years ago. And then you get it once a year and like they, the, the screen turns to oh black and like Amy Poehler's <laughs> got like an axe in her hand. It's TV. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think at the time that was kind of a joke, but now that happens, mm. right? Yeah, there are women who you don't take get their periods anymore. Yeah, that stops oh, yeah. you, and then you get it once a like it, it's just a. We a, do everything we can to like impede with the body's natural way of being healing. I mean, it's we've we've stopped learning how to listen. I feel mm. like, and it just yep. it could just 
answer so many issues if you just listen to your body. Mm. And that listen to your body with eating, listen to your body with parenting, listen yes. to your body with rest. Listen, it's and this is you know it's Trust the core yourself. of everything. Trust. I mean, yourself. we that's the thing. I remember when I was pregnant, I didn't read any books or I mean, I know so many people that are like. Or if there's an issue that comes up in parenting, I mean, they, they're searching everything and they're, you know, what should I do and asking a million people, which is great to get advice. But I mean, just, I don't know. I just feel like tuning it, like you really kind of. so interesting because I run a monthly men's group and a few months ago, um, the, the way we opened the meeting was, okay, tune in your body Mm -hmm. and, and share with the group. Um, what what sensations you're feeling in your body. Yeah. And without exception, all these guys would be like, I'm angry and I'm angry at this person because that like, no, 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 you're not yep. getting it. What, how, I, I understand your brain is mad at somebody, but right. I'm not interested in that right now. Tell me, do you have a stomach ache? Are you yep. tensing your shoulders? Are you clenching? And it's really hard for, for me and yep. probably a lot of other people just to get quiet for like 10 seconds to tune into our bodies. Well, and emo- I mean, I recently was listening, I think, to some podcast about emotions, you know, energy and motion that we're supposed to have these emotions move through our bodies. And when they get stuck is when all the crap happens. And I, I feel like especially for men, you know, women, I feel like sometimes get emotions out more mm-hmm. or have outlets. And I mean, men do, too, but... It's not, it's it, not it's as accepted. They get, they get stuck. I mean, and because they're not we're meant taught. to. Yeah, Even though we're, we're ta- exactly we're the same. I think totally maybe, this. I mean, yeah. Maybe somebody will say, no, no. There's different brain chemistry. The male brain looks different than the female brain. We're all as far just as a human. I'm I mean, it's yeah. We still all experience emotions, and and that's the thing <clears throat> because the difference with like the brain is like is that nature or nurture? Is right. that because as we know, infants. Male infants actually experience more emotion than female. You know, when they were watching, yeah, them, they release you know, it. They yeah. they have more of an emotional expression. So is that tampered down because they're mm. male or because of society? Right. You know, and like it's so funny, Rhea, because what I just sent you, I wrote about energy, energy and motion. Oh, yay. you haven't read it yet, yeah. but oh, I just awesome. sent it to you. Oh my, see, so it's <laughs> always like so perfect. perfect. There's an yeah. interconnection, but that is exactly it. Which is that I think when you've had, we get trained our whole lives to get out of our body and become yes. a head. And then our body becomes what carries our head around. Yeah. And then the rest of our life, whenever that change is, for some it's 25, for some it's yeah. 42, for some it's 60, or some never do it, it's getting back into our body and realizing that that is the only, that that we already had the answer. It's Absolutely. One more thought about what you said about the books and pregnancy is, with my first child, I did grab all the books. Oh, yeah, sure. And the second child, I said, I will never look yep. at a book throughout this pregnancy because they screw you up. Well, and it's like diet books, right? Like, right. Oh, oh, my God. Okay, wait. No, I should do this and do this. I mean, everything is already overwhelming enough. There's so many choices. And I just, I feel like there is no right or wrong. You just have to figure out what works for you with everything in life. It just, it's really simple. Just, it I is. mean, you know. Yes. Listen to yourself. <laughs> it's simple. You know, as we always say, simple, but not easy. But it yeah, could be not easy, easy yeah. if we trust it. Sure. But but we're so influenced by everything else. So, so the name of the book is Not Her Daughter. Not Her Daughter. <clears throat> and what I understand about book selling, because yes. we want to support you, is isn't Amazon reviews like the promised land? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, leaving a review is always so helpful. Um, I mean, especially to a lot of people go there, they'll look at the reviews, and then they'll make their purchasing decision based on the reviews, you know? Um, so it's, it is very important, um, to kind of support writers that way. Yeah. Okay. For sure. So aside from buying the book, which you should, yes. but you should also submit an Amazon review, that would um, be great. your website, 
Yeah, it's reafry.com, R-E-A-F-R-E-Y.com. And the book is available wherever books are sold. Um, Target has been like an amazing thing for it like the the visibility i've had so many people like send me videos and pictures of and that's still surreal like seeing it in a bookstore is amazing but that's been one of the most like fun places to see it is there any questions that you wish we would have asked you or is there anything you wanted to share that you didn't get a chance to share I, i don't think so no this was this was awesome what about you, sweetie? Well, no, I'm just so glad we got to go to, and we didn't cover everything, but Rhea has a lot of pieces, and oh, yeah. I wanted I wanted to focus on this book, but I wanted to focus on her personal life, and I wanted to focus on her you know, history with nonfiction, and I'm glad well, we got I, to yeah. the corners. I feel like having you back just to talk about fitness. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, I don't get to talk about it as much anymore, so yes, I would love yeah. to. So, all right. Name of the book is uh, Not Her Daughter. Uh, Rhea Fry, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Everybody, go get it and read it. It took me what? What did I tell you? A day? I read it. uh, It's a quick read. It's really, (laughs) really good. All right. Adios, everybody. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode, and feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's twenty-five bucks a month, where you'll get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions. If you can't join us live, don't worry. You can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen Podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything that we offer. Get your tickets for our annual Zen Parenting Conference on March 8th and 9th, 2019. Sweet. Get your brave on with Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambeck, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and Devorah Heitner, and enjoy a weekend in a warm and friendly environment of like-minded people. Tickets are available at zenparentingradio.com. Sweetie, it's going to be off the hook. I know. Um, interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. They're not your three books. Well, your three books. Thank you. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Um, Guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? Good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, FaceTime. You choose. If you're in Chicago, contact me about the tribe. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And don't forget about our 2019 Unplug, Connect, and Transform Retreat. More more on that later. Special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft, from Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support, Jeremy. Sweetie, he's a bald head of beauty. I know this. All right, everybody, keep trucking. See you next week. Adios.